0: Good to see everybody this morning, a good full crowd here for first service, and yet people still don't want to sit within three rows of me. Jackie, I, I, I love that you love me, that's great, that's just wonderful. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, if you're new here, my name is Justin, one of the pastors and elders here at Peninsula Grace. Uh, we've been preaching through the book of Acts, so we're going to continue that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, uh, we will have the verses on the screen and the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, there are some notes in the bulletin, if you didn't grab one of those, you can jump out there and uh, grab, we got fill in the blanks. Uh, you can join in with the fun uh, on that way too. So we're calling today's message, giving ourselves holy, giving ourselves holy. Um, so my wife and I, uh, we were introduced by a mutual acquaintance. Uh, I lived here and she was living in California at the time we met over Facebook Messenger where all love starts. And uh, for about two months we were just talking back and forth before I flew down uh, to meet her face to face in California. So we had um, here, here I am on, on the, the airplane uh, and, and then we met up here. Here's our first uh, selfie. Right. That's how you know a relationship has started. You've taken a selfie together. and It was at the chocolate frog. Right. Chocolate fish. It was—it's amphibious. I don't know whatever. All right, so we—we we, it was a beautiful moment, uh, and so we 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 had one week, about eight days, to spend with each other, uh, to see if this was heading toward marriage or not. So we had to focus, right? Um, we set up some physical boundaries because of that, and I had said, you know, let's just hug hello, and hug goodbye at the airport, and that's it. Now, uh, no hand holding, no kissing, no canoodling, right? Which was very, very difficult because I thought she was very, very pretty. Is very, (laughs) very pretty. And by the grace of our good God and the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we were able to stick to our boundaries. And we were able to just engage in conversation and getting to know her family and her friends. And you know what? It was so much better. Like, we did not, we, we never looked back and said, man, I wish we had been more physical with each other. And, and that's, I always believe, we're never going to regret that we slowed our roll and focused on the right things. And I'll never forget that first phone call after we had visited. Um, she, she said to me, she said, man, I felt, I felt so valued as a person that you cared about me and not just my body, not just yourself, not just your physical gratification, but you valued me. Now, would it have been sinful for us to hold hands or even smooch on our first trip? No, right? There's no thou shalt not toucheth on thou first weaketh togetheretheth, right? It's not in the Bible. But the point isn't just physical touching, right? The point was trust, And because I had promised her, man, we're not going to kiss, then to try to start laying on the moves, what would that have communicated? It communicated that she couldn't trust me, that I was not a a man of my word. See, we were setting precedents so that when we got married and the physical boundaries were, were no longer just allowed, but to be fully enjoyed, glory, hallelujah. But the question would still remain for Jill, can she trust me? Can she would ask have to ask herself, can I fully give myself to this man? Does he care about me or just about himself and what he can get from me? And, and similarly, this question is posed for us before our God. Can we wholly, fully trust ourselves to our God? Like, can we trust him and his way? That he's truly there for me, that he truly cares about me, or am I just some pawn in his monstrous games? And so I just got to do whatever I can to get my own, to protect myself and my own good. In our passage today, I see an underlying admonition. We, brothers and sisters, are called to completely, wholly, totally give ourselves unto our God. And today, in the book of Acts, what we're going to see is what happens when we do give ourselves wholly to him. What happens when we don't fully give ourselves to him. And the solution to the problem, because let's be real... Let's be honest, none of us do every day consistently give ourselves fully to God and on our own we can't but by the grace of our God. Amen. So let's look at these three things together. First of all, what happens when we do give ourselves fully to God? We're going to see at the end of Acts 4 another summary statement. If you've been with us, at the end of Acts 2, a similar thing. Let's kind of look at the state of the church. So here's a picture of the church at the end of chapter 4. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common with great power. The apostles were giving testimony ...to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all all those who owned lands or houses sold them... ...brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement... Sold the field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is a feel good moment, isn't it? Like things are good. You remember at the end of a, a week of summer camp or like the, the mission trip, we did, it took this last year to Haiti. Like at the end of the week, you are just loving each other, right? You're sharing everything. And just we, I, you know, the girls are all doing each other's hair and, and sharing each other's sweatshirts. And, and you're sharing water bottles and all the diseases that come with that. And then there's like, I, and then at the end, you're like, we, I love you guys. Like after this trip, let's hang out every single day. And then that never happens, right? Life happens and you don't. But the, the, that's really an, a picture of the intimacy that we see here. The phrase is there of one heart and mind. One heart and mind sharing life together continually. And this sort of masterfully blends the two cultures and their ideals of this unity. So the Greek ideal of friendship, it was a single soul dwelling in two bodies. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A single soul that's dwelling in two bodies, sort of our marital picture of one flesh, right? It's like there's one soul between the two of us. And the Hebrew ideal was of total loyalty. Total loyalty, loyal love. That's God's chesed to us. A loyal love in order to have that for one another. And really, this is a picture of the the marriage between a man and a woman. And, And ultimately, as a body of believers, we are called the bride of Christ. To have one, a total loyalty toward each other. There's one spirit, but many physical bodies. And this unity is going to play itself out in how we see our possessions, our stuff. Verse 32. They're of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. So this makes sense, right? Like in our marriage, I don't tell Jill, that's my money. (laughs) That will go well. This is our money, right? Think about your own body. My right hand's not like, these are my Sour Patch Kids. And the left hand says, no, they're mine. They're fine. We're all going to share in them, right? My mouth's like, you both are fools. It's really going to be mine, right? So what, what do we see here? This is reality. As the body of Christ, I should see my possessions as our possessions. This is my, not my iPhone. This is our iPhone. Who needs one? Right, don't raise your hand, please. This is our pizza. Who's hungry? This is our paycheck. Who has financial need? But notice here, this is not how I am to view your possessions, right? I don't walk up to you and go, hey, could I have a bite of our pizza? <laughs> Give it to me, right? Hey, I'm going to drive our car home today. Give me the keys, right? I don't, that's not how I'm viewing your possessions. This is how I'm viewing my possessions, that I see them as good gifts from our God, because that's who they belong to, right? This is reality. Our God has given us all things to use for the good of all people. And again, we said this is not communism. They own those things. This is biblical generosity. Who has a need? And if I can meet it, I would love to. I would love to. Again, Acts is showing us this big transition that's happening in the movement of God. That God is moving from primarily working with the nation of Israel through the law of Moses and the temple of God. He's shifting to move through the, 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 the Jesus and his followers, people from all tr- tongues and tribes and nations. And so one of the things that Luke is showing us here, he's actually riffing on a command that God had given the people in the Old Testament. In in Deuteronomy 15, God said, There will be no poor among you. Your people should have no poor. Open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. Give to those in need. And this is the exact same phrase that Luke borrows from here in Acts chapter 4. For there was not a needy person among them. Why? Because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as they had any need. And what what Luke is trying to show here is what Israel failed to do in the power of their own strength through the attempt to keep the law, Jesus will not fail to do through the power of his Holy Spirit in the church. And he gives us, and this isn't everybody selling. In fact, he gives one example of a standout of this. He, and his, he calls Joseph, he's going to later be better known as Barnabas, the son of encouragement, going to be one of Paul's sidekicks on his missionary journeys. And this, this, he says he sold the field and gave it away so that those in need could have What they needed and this is a beautiful example in the church of giving and i see beautiful examples in our church of people who have generous hearts my parents have always been a great example of that to me like i come over to their house and it's not just me as their son any of you get a free invite to my parents house i just want to let you know that Uh, if they they are just as happy with me eating their food as they are when they eat their own food like it's incredible uh, John Strom, brother in the church, like if I ask him, hey, John, can I borrow a tool? Because I'm doing man stuff all the time. Uh, can I borrow one of the tools from your garage? Like John, is, it's so funny because he is actually, like it's almost like I helped him more than he helped me. He's like, I'm so happy that you asked me to give you this tool. I would love to give it to you, right? Remember we said in Corinthians, it's a generous, a hilarious giving toward one another. And we see these examples of people who find deep joy in meeting the needs of the people around them. So what's the picture here? What happens when we give ourselves wholly to God? Well, we see the good of others and the glory of God. That that those who have needs to be cared for, to be given to, they are given to. And then God is glorified. Because the world is watching and they see a witness of who God is. Verse 33, remember it said, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. They witness with their mouths, but then they also witness with their hands that what they're doing matches the the news that they're proclaiming. But, chapter 5, but, but. We all know that this is not the ideal, right? Or this is the ideal, but we don't always meet the ideal, right? We're not always sharing all our toys and cookies with each other, are we? This is not always our reality. And so there's this sharp left turn that happens at the beginning of chapter 5. We see what happens when we don't give ourselves unto God. We're gonna read it through 11 verses and then we'll come back and talk about it. Verse one, but a, na- but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Now, how did Peter know that he held some back? text doesn't tell us wasn't it yours while you possessed it and after it was sold wasn't it at your disposal why is it that you planned this thing in your heart you have not lied to the people but to God when he heard these words Ananias dropped dead and a great fear came on all who heard the young men got up wrapped his body carried him out and buried him About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price, Peter, you dog? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church. No kidding. And on all those who heard these things. Now, first blush seems a little extreme, right? Like punishment, crime... Not seeing the connection. Is God having a bad day? Like, what is going on here? A man and a wife dropped dead because they claimed that they gave all the proceeds of their sold property to the poor when really they held back a portion of it. You're going, huh, seems a little extreme, right? So Remember, Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. We said Acts is describing the story, telling us a story about what happened in the early church. It's not necessarily a prescription of exactly what we're to do in every situation and exactly what's going to happen to us in our church today. This is not a church manual for us to follow bit by bit. Otherwise, what's the takeaway here? You're tucking your kids in tonight for bed time. Hey, kids, do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? you do this. If you lie, God's going to kill you, right? Sleep well, right? <laughs> and, gonna, and we're not going to check the offering box afterward and be like, hey, let's make sure that you gave 10% of your gross income or else, ah, right? Like we're not, that's not the takeaway from this story. So let's take a closer look at what's going on here. The problem wasn't that they were keeping some of the money. The problem is that they claimed that they gave it all. So look at verse 3. Ananias, Peter asks, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Then he says, Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? Like, this belongs to you. Like, you can do with it uh, as you will uh, under the, the ultimate uh, direction of God, right? And after you sold it, wasn't it at your disposal? The money is yours to do with as you see fit. Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You lied, not to people, but to God. Again, not forced communism. This is your property and your money, but you gave hypocritically. Jen Wilkins said it this way. Their sin here was not stealing, uh, was stealing reputation, not property. The problem wasn't that they took back some of their property. The problem is that they were trying to steal a reputation for themselves. They wanted to look like Barnabas, Mr. Generosity, right? Look at us. We did it too. They wanted the honor without the sacrifice. They wanted the honor without the sacrifice they wanted to be praised for their generosity without giving away their perceived financial security look at how generous ananias and and sapphira are and yet they still had some in their account right they wanted to have their cake and eat it too and again the heart of the issue is that they were not giving themselves wholly to their god they were giving themselves partly to their god and this was a hard issue Right? Jesus always wants to get to the heart issue. It was like the physical boundaries between Jill and I. This wasn't ultimately about hand holding, it was about trust that we could give ourselves fully to each other. This wasn't about real estate. This was about Ananias and Sapphira failing to fully give themselves and trusting themselves to their God. What they were trying to do was serve God and money. But here's the problem: our hearts have room on the throne for only one God. So what's that thing for you? What's that thing that maybe you say, God, I trust you, but I would never. And maybe that's even an unconscious thing for a lot of us. What's that one thing that if God was to tug at it, you would really feel your your fingers constricting around it? And God, I would never move away from my home. I would never move away from my my next of kin, right? I would never go. Even if you called me to go to the mission field, wouldn't do it. God, I would never take a pay cut. I can't go backward now, right? Even if it means being home with my family more often, wouldn't do it. What are the things in our hearts that we wouldn't let go of? If, 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 if we trust our God, we are willing, remember the principle here? Not that we have to give every, every penny to charity. The point is, are we willing to let it all go? But still, you might say, did they have to die? <laughs> like, could, wouldn't a, a spiritual timeout work? Like how about a scolding, at least a second yellow card, right? I mean like some kind of a warning system. The two things that I I want to point out here, first of all, notice that it says they physically died. They dropped dead at his feet. We're not told. We're we're told that there's a physical death. We're not told that there's a spiritual death. Now we don't know, right? We're not told here, we're not given that information. But what it doesn't say is that Ananias and Sapphira went to hell. It says that they physically died. What do we know about the gospel? We know that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, right? So they are not saved nor kept by their ability to consistently tell the truth, but by their belief in the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, amen? And there are times that we're going to see in the Bible, and it's not just this story. Sometimes God takes people home early. Sometimes he's like, you know what? For your sake and for the sake of the community, it's better if you just come on out of there, right? Like this is just better for everybody. So we see God, well, let's not read into the text more than what it tells us. The second thing here, again, we are in this big transition from Israel to the church, and their witness is at stake here. In the Old Testament, if the people brought an improper sacrifice to the temple, or if they persisted in sin, the law said that there were certain sins that would ultimately lead to your physical death or separation from the community in hopes of keeping the community pure and wholly set apart to God. So here in in, in Acts, Luke is showing us that shift. And notice, Barnabas and Ananias don't bring their gifts, their financial gifts, to the temple. That, That is no longer where they take it. Where does it say they lay? Over and over again, did you notice this expression? They were laying these things at the apostles' feet. This was symbolic of a new authority, that God is now primarily working through the church. This new people of God that are no longer bound by the law of Moses, Christ fulfilled that, but what they want to see is God's, the question is being asked then, does God still take sin seriously? Like, are we still ultimately accountable to him and to to one another? And he's showing here, yes, I am still God. This is my people, and I need them to be wholly set apart to me. In fact, Luke is actually riffing on another story of transition uh, from God's people in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Achan? of another liar who was, um, who was killed because of his lie. Uh, if you remember the story, God rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, uh, through the wilderness, and then into the Promised Land. And in Joshua chapter 6, their first battle, remember that? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho when the walls came, tumbling down a couple Sunday schoolers, that's great. So we see God tells them, he says, when you go into Jericho, I want you to wipe everything out, People, possessions, and he says this, this is the expression he uses, but the city and everything in it are set apart or devoted to the Lord for destruction. Devoted to the Lord or set apart wholly to the Lord for destruction. So either those things will be physically destroyed, or like the gold and silver, he said, put that apart, because that's gonna go toward the future temple. Now, what we see is is do you hear a parallel there? None of these things are yours. Set apart all of them uh, to me. Now, the question is, why did God ask them to do that? Did he just not like the Canaanite decor? He's just like, that's not my style. That's not how I'm going to roll. Or did he just, was this just him being cruel to the people they were entering into? There was a spiritual battle going on here. And these people worshipped false gods and evil spirits that manifested themselves in real evil ways. There's child sacrifice, all sorts of cruelty and death and destruction. And God knew, listen, my people, if you don't completely wipe this stuff out, if you don't completely wipe them out, you will get sucked into their beliefs and not be wholly devoted to me. And we read the story, that's exactly what happens. They fail to completely drive the people out of the land, and they start to give their hearts to the evil of the people in that land and not be wholly devoted to God. But there was a man named Achan who did not obey. Joshua 7 says, The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, the son of Carmi, so my dad calls my my mom, hey Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, ...of the tribe of Judah took some of what was set apart... ...and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Achan took some of the things that were set apart. Kept some of those things back. And this, in the Greek version of the Old Testament... ...is actually the exact same phrase that Luke purposely uses here... ...of Ananias, who kept back part of what he claimed... ...was totally devoted to the Lord and his purposes... I see uh, Achan and Ananias here like Abu in the Cave of Wonders. Hello! Right? Sees what's beautiful and moves toward it. Isn't this Adam and Eve language? We're back in the garden. Saw what was good to the eyes, wanted it, coveted it, desired it, and took it. Took what was not theirs to take. And just like Adam and Eve and just like Ananias, Achan tried to cover it up. He literally buries it in the ground and lies about, no, no, everything was devoted here, nothing to see. And what had happened? That sin brought defeat to their whole army. They lose to, the, the, to, the, to those from Ai in the next battle. And in fact, not only does it mean death by stoning for Achan, but also for his whole family. We sit on some hard lessons here. Three lessons that I see that can be learned from the two situations of Ananias and Achan. A, sin always dishonors the name of God. It always dishonors God's name. First and foremost, brothers and sisters, you and I were created to glorify God, that we bear his image, to represent him here on earth, as he is in heaven, to honor his name. I love the Olympics just started up. Anybody been watching the Olympics? I always gets me jacked up. I love cheer you. I, I I've never met any of these people before, but they got the red, white, and blue on their little outfit that's way too tight, and I 'm cheering them on, right? Let's do this thing. And these athletes are there to represent and honor their country, and not just in their performance, also in their character. It's not just about getting a gold medal. And these guys are jerks or involved in drug scandals, or even worse. They have not only dishonored themselves and their families, but their whole country, us, who they represent. The greed and the lying of Ananias are dishonoring not just themselves and their families, but God Himself. The God of Israel, the God of the church. He's not greedy, He is generous. He's not a liar, He is truth. He says, You're dragging my name through the mud. What do we see as the result of God's judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 11 says, then great fear came on the whole church and on all those who heard these things. It says, God is not mocked. You thought you could get away with it. You tested the Lord. And like the Olympians, guys, we are being watched by the world around us. The way that we're treating each other, the way that we live our lives. And we have two options. We will either represent God or we will misrepresent God. In the way that we talk, the way that we live, the way that we treat one another, we are either honoring the name of God or we are dishonoring the name of God. It's the first principle. Sin always dishonors God's name. Second principle, sin often starts small but always leads toward death. Sin st- oftentimes starts small but always leads toward death. Because again, both of these things can seem like overreacting, right? <clears throat> it was just a little gold that Achan buried. It was a cloak and, 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 and a couple of precious metals. Is that really that big of a deal? that Ananias just held a little bit of the money back. I mean, the dude gave to the poor. How bad could this be? He had a wife and kids to feed. And don't we do that? We can justify. It's just a a little lie, just a a little exaggeration. It was just an innocent flirtation at the workplace. It was just one indulgent purchase. Jill and I just uh, rewatched Lord of the Rings again. Another thing that pumps me up. And uh, you remember the story of, of, of Smeagol, uh, a normal hobbit who finds this ring. And at first, it's just this shiny little piece of jewelry, right? It's not that bad. He just likes It just looks pretty. But what eventually happens, this thing starts to consume him. And it becomes his ultimate precious, as he calls it. And over time, this desire destroys him. And there's this final haunting scene where he's literally falling to his doom in Mount Doom, and he's got this smile on his face as he's looking at the ring before he falls to his death. Smiling with the precious in his hands, he got what he wanted, but it killed him. So what precious thing are you unwilling to let go of? If that desire, listen, if that desire is left unchecked, it will eventually consume us. Sin dishonors God's name, but also it's the worst thing for us. It leads us toward death. And the, the word death means separation or, or isolation. So what happens here is that sin isolates us from a holy God, but then it also isolates us from, from other people. It starts to destroy the, us and the relationships of the, of the people around us. Someone who idolizes their job. They start to to cut themselves off from their family time so they can get more done at the office. They start to cut themselves off from their church community so they can keep moving up that corporate ladder. They start making decisions at work to what will get me ahead in this job, keep me in this job. And we start to get off of course. And eventually it can isolate us from all the people around us. Sin leads to, the wages of sin is death. That's the reality. And the last one here, we see that sin is never an island. Sin is never an island. It never just stops with us. as a ripple effect that starts in our heart that goes out to the ends of the earth. Ananias' wife was brought into his lie and into his death. Achan's sin did not just affect him, but his family, the witness of the whole community, the army that suffered defeat because of what he did. And that, that rubs us wrong as an individualist society, right? But just like Barnabas' obedient generosity led to the blessing of others, th- those who were in need, received money, received food, received care. Ananias' greed and lying, it deprived the needy. And it it could have destroyed the reputation of this new church. You think about what happens with moral failure of a CEO or a a pastor in a church. We see what happened recently was Ravi Zacharias and the way that it infected his entire ministry and organization. Listen to the podcast of Mars Hill and the fall of Mark Driscoll and the ripple effect that that had not just for his church, but the Christian faith. So what happened with the Catholic priests it doesn't just affect that person or that leader. It can bring down everyone around them. Don't buy the lie, brothers and sisters, that this won't hurt anybody. We see that with the lie with pornography, right? Oh, it's not. Nobody else even has to know. But we know that's a lie. It starts to affect our hearts the way we see the people around us and leads us to deeper and darker sins and destroys the people in our lives, in our own hearts. What happens when we don't give ourselves fully to God? We see the dishonor of God's name. We see a destruction of the community around us. And we ultimately see that it leads us to death. Further and further isolation from our God and from those around us. So what's the solution? Because man, if we're honest, like we can all feel this thing in our heart, right? We've all, we've walked this road, maybe we are walking this road right now. So what's the solution, what do we do and we also got to be honest, there's some, there's some hard stuff in this story, right? Like there's some things where it's easy to go, God, that's not fair. Like that you would kill Ananias and Sapphira because of a lie? God, that's too harsh. That's not fair. Or maybe we would say, God, that you would punish not just Achan, like maybe Achan, but his family, his wife and his children, the sheep, what did the sheep do? That's not fair. What we learn in these stories that death is required to turn Away the wrath of God from sin. Death is required. Because sin cannot be in God's presence. It necessarily must be separated from God. We also learn in the story that our God will go to any length. Any length. To remove sin. To remove sin from his presence and to preserve a people that are wholly devoted to him. To remove sin from his presence and to preserve a people that are wholly set apart, wholly devoted to him. You see that little detail earlier in Aiken's family line. You see how he was from the tribe of Judah. Can we think of anybody that's going to come from the line of Judah of significance? Here is Achan, a man who was executed in order to turn away God's wrath. And he took his whole family down with him. But Achan's great-great-grandson. He would also be executed to turn away the wrath of God and to preserve his people from sin. But in a breathtaking act of substitution. It's the sinless one who was executed in the place of me, the greedy, lying Ananias of the story who deserved execution. And that we are forgiven, that we are welcomed because Jesus, our family representative, paid it in full. That's what's not fair. That's what we don't deserve. And now, like Achan and Ananias' sinful deaths brought their families down with them, Jesus' sinless death brings his new family up with him. A resurrected people. He says in verse 33 of chapter 4, With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. He said, our king is alive. And his new family that was brought into death with him through the cross... Death to our old nature, to death itself, and now are risen to a new life with Jesus. We are now made holy. When we say we're holy, dedicated, the same word, H O L Y, is W H O L L Y. Holy, completely cleansed from all sin, has removed all the idols from our hearts, just like they were to be removed from the promised land, just like God was removing the sin from his early church there with Ananias and Sapphira's lives. that Jesus has conquered all sin in our hearts. Amen? So that we can now in Christ give ourselves holy, holy, holy to God. In our first week of dating, Jill had to start by trusting me with the small stuff. That I would keep my word about holding hands to be able to. To be able to trust me with the big stuff with her heart. That we would give ourselves wholly to one another in life until death did us part. And at the cross, guys, at the cross, God kept his word to be, oh, to wholly destroy the sin on planet earth. And that in Jesus' love, we learn, as we look at the cross and what Jesus did on our behalf, we come to learn that we can trust him with our whole heart. He's for us, not against us. That he has completely dealt with sin and a path back to him. So that we can stand and say, God, I can give it all. I can entrust myself to you. Because death will never do us part. Would you pray with me? I want to do some some work in our hearts here. Maybe you this morning, man, you're you're, you're hearing the, the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart. Saying, man, there's some things that you got your fingers tied around. Some things that you're not willing to give to me. Maybe you felt that thing kind of float through your mind or or kind of come out. You're like, no, not that, not that, not that. Maybe that's the exact same thing that that, that he needs you to bring to him this morning. Say, that's wrong. Confess that sin. Repent of that sin. Your approach to food. Your approach to to, to, uh, sex. Your approach to a a neighbor. Your approach to money. Your approach to your time. Again, these are hard issues. God says, confess the small stuff to me before it grows and destroys you and the people around you and causes further isolation. Maybe it's the big stuff this morning. Maybe there's something big that needs to be, and that's a scary thing to consider about what that next step looks like. Brothers and sisters, Jesus fully dealt with that sin. And when we come to him in confession, 1 John says, And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a prodigal who's waiting to run back to us and embrace us in his arms. The beautiful gift of repentance. It's in Christ that we find ourselves wholly cleansed so that we can be wholly devoted to God. All sin leads to death. Father, it's only by your mercy and grace that any of us are alive, that any of us have received anything good from your hands. Thank you for the cross. Help us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to know that we can trust you with our lives. It's in his beautiful name that we offer ourselves wholly to you and all God's people sin.